0: Peter. Michael. What's your first nominee for the worst take of 2023?
1: I think it's Vulture putting us as the number four podcast of the year and not number one.
0: So a few weeks ago, we put out a call on the Patreon for the worst takes of 2023. And we received a number of excellent nominations. Yeah. There was one that just said, if books could kill defending Hillary Clinton. I know. I no, sure. that, that,
1: was that, was, that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. I liked it a lot. You
0: know what? There's, there was also one person who said something along the lines of, like, this is just going to be a rundown of Mike's Twitter beefs, LOL. Which, like, <laughs> first of all, how dare you? And secondly, that's correct.
1: My only real criticism, and it's not anyone's fault, is that the recency bias is severe. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them were from like the last three weeks.
1: <laughs> and I, I, I like knew that that was an issue, but myself, I had no memory of anything that happened more than a month ago. Yeah, it's, an, so, it's insane. I know. I don't know how we get out of this cycle, but we're just inundated with too much news. And I, know. I feel like as a society, we need to pick. Maybe like one every two weeks, one news story (laughs) that we talk about for two weeks, and then we all move on.
0: So as usual, I have over-prepared for this and Peter has under-prepared for this. (laughs) I have three nominees and then an Mm -hmm. extremely obvious winner. And then I have a bunch of honorable mentions. And then I have like the worst
1: just like discourse. I also have some – some sort of primaries and some honorable mentions here. Okay. I yeah, I think I think we're on uh, probably on the same okay. page. I am I am underplaying how much I read for this a little bit. I okay, see. yeah, I read a lot I, too. Yeah, I yeah. fried my brain reading the same. worst takes for like three days straight.
0: My first nomination is this was a year with a lot of talk about like how marriage is good. I feel like this is kind of already the yeah. memory hold, but there were all kinds of like studies. And like books that came out this year that were like, well, the the data is in and like marriage is really good for kids. And Mm -hmm. one of my most worst takes is an Atlantic article by Melissa Kearney who wrote this book called The Two-Parent Privilege, How Americans Stopped Getting Married and Started Falling Behind. And I am going to send you the opening paragraphs.
1: Earlier this year, I was at a conference on fighting poverty, and a member of the audience asked a question that made the experts visibly uncomfortable. What about family structure, he asked. Single-parent families are more likely to be poor than two-parent ones. Does family structure play a role in poverty? The scholar to whom the question was directed looked annoyed and struggled to formulate an answer. The panelists shifted in their seats. The moderator stepped in, quickly pointing out that poverty makes it harder for people to form stable marriages. She promptly called on someone else. I sighed. As an economist who studies inequality in families, I have often found myself in the same position as the questioner. I have suggested in similar settings that we need to consider how marriage and household structure affect children's life outcomes, only to be met with annoyance and evasion.
0: You can't even talk about how two parents... Are good for kids anymore.
1: I, I'm not. I don't. Even, I'm not like 100% sure that I believe this happened.
0: I know. Oh, oh, visibly uncomfortable. And like the, the 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 moderators like stammering. Like oh oh. The parents of kids. I don't uh, know.
1: They've revealed that that conservatism is correct. Uh, this is like a this is a thing that I think conservatives actually believe that like that liberals secretly know that conservatism yeah. is right. <laughs> and so if you like ask them a prodding question, they will just <laughs> literally shake. And and be and cry. The
0: thing is, I found this discourse extremely obnoxious all year, both because like it it just comes up like on kind of three year cycles. It just like, well, we're doing it again. Like when I was looking up takes on this, there was like a wave of takes in like 2016 as well. Mm-hmm. And like the, we've as we talked about in our success sequence episode, this thing of like, oh, you need to be married this just keeps happening people it's literally the same people saying literally the exact same thing all the time right i i don't want to go over too much of what we said in that episode but it's like this entire thing seems to misunderstand correlation and causation which the data itself cannot really untangle for you right it's very obviously true that like kids raised with two parents are like more likely to you know graduate from high school, they earn more in life, whatever. But like that doesn't tell you whether like marriage itself is doing it. It could be that when you're married, you're more likely to be rich. It could also be that when you're rich, you're more likely to be married. Right. And as Kearney actually admits in like a lot of her interviews, what she's really talking about is cohabitation. Uh Like when you live together, you're better at raising kids because obviously you're sharing resources, sharing childcare. Again, nobody really disagrees with this. It's easier to raise kids with two people than with one person. Duh. Right. But like how many people are living together and raising kids is much more difficult to measure. Mm -hmm. So it's like Mm -hmm. the data is kind of garbage to begin with and it doesn't really tell
1: us anything. She's talking about evasion. What these pieces all actually evade is what is your prescription here exactly? Right? Some conservatives will admit that what they want is like no no no-fault divorce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, basically social pressure to marry and marry young. But Mm. not a lot of people are willing to admit that. And so it's sort of a situation where what they're actually doing is just sort of like poo-pooing other causes of poverty, yeah. right? And being like, well, maybe, maybe the real problem is something that is sort of specific to these yeah. individuals and is not solved by, you know, welfare payments. That, or whatever.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's, it, it actually, the, the thing that I kept thinking was what me and Aubrey keep saying on Maintenance Phase about like fatness, that there's this entire debate of like, how bad is it for you to be fat, blah, blah, blah. And like, The data is more complicated. We've done a million episodes about it, but we also kind of hate doing episodes about it because the answer to that question is kind of irrelevant, right? Because even if it's straightforwardly true that being fat is bad for you, people cannot stop being fat. People can't lose weight, right? And so telling a 300-pound person, hey, you'd be healthier if you lost weight is not useful because... Chances are that person has tried losing weight a million times, and mm-hmm. if they try losing weight again, they're going to engage in a bunch of unhealthy behaviors, and two years later, they're going to be 350 pounds.
1: Right. And it's the same thing with right.
0: marriage, right? That it's like, okay, we, we've proven that it's good for kids to get married, like the, to have their parents be married. Fine, whatever. Even if that's true, it's not like there's some reservoir of like well-earning, well-educated, great dudes out there, and single moms are like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want a partner, It's like, what are people supposed to do with
1: that information? Marry incels. You'll eventually get there if you ask enough conservatives <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. what the solution. Is.
0: Or like the weird sex robot thing that they sometimes come back to. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we, need the, we need the Jordan Peterson milking video to be public policy. I don't know.
1: That was also a contender for one of the worst takes. Yes.
0: Someone <laughs> appears to have attached a machine to Jordan Peterson that is milking him for the worst imaginable takes. But then like the, the, she also mentioned in this op-ed that like only 1% of the federal budget for like welfare or whatever goes to promoting marriage.
1: That sounds like too much of the welfare. Budget, frankly. And
0: and the thing is, this is actually already a large component of our poverty alleviation strategy because in 1996 they made welfare be like block grants to states. States can decide how they spend it. And a lot of states, especially conservative states, spend their welfare budgets on these fucking asinine promoting marriage. Like, this is why marriage is good classes, which are one of the least effective poverty alleviation strategies. Wow.
1: What's what's a less effective poverty alleviation yeah, strategy?
0: <laughs> Did you know that it's good to settle down? <laughs> they're basically asking, They're they're using irrelevant data to promote more of something we're already doing and doesn't work. Yeah. And then another one, this is recency bias, but then there was a couple weeks ago, this sort of the, – the this discourse has kind of been around, bouncing around all year, and then this has now culminated in this atrocious Washington Post editorial, which I'm sure you saw.
1: This was my first yeah, one okay, because okay, okay. this is right. like popular demand.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk, walk us through it, Peter. All
1: right. So, yeah, the Washington Post editorial board, <laughs> the headline is, If Attitudes Don't Shift – a political dating mismatch will threaten marriage. Threaten marriage. And I guess even though you read it as well, I will send you oh, yeah. some ch- some of the choice quotes choice. here. I wonder if
0: we highlighted the same paragraphs because I have three yellow, yellow paragraphs.
1: I only have two.
0: Oh, yeah. This is the one where they're calling for a vibe shift. OK. Americans have increasingly sorted themselves according to ideological orientation. They are working, living and socializing with people who think the same things that they do. Particularly on college campuses, a culture of seeking sameness has set up young Americans for disappointment. They expect people to share their own convictions and commitments. A cultural shift might be necessary, one that views politics as part of people's identities, but far from the most important part. Americans' ability to live together, quite literally might depend on it i love that they threw college students in here yeah like this broad sociological phenomenon fuck these kids
1: (laughs) they can't resist like (laughs) there's no like data or anything that like they mention that links us directly to college campuses in reality there is some some data about younger people drawing like harder lines about what uh, political identities they're willing to Mm -hmm. date but Mm -hmm. in my mind the subtext here is like, no one wants to date Republicans anymore. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which is basically women because men are much more likely to be conservatives. Yeah. Right. And I feel like this is unsettling in two ways. First, in the micro, it's essentially like, look, ladies, you should be open to dating people who believe that you should not have reproductive autonomy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spend your life with someone <laughs> who just doesn't respect you at all. Uh, yeah. That is, and, you know, that's like the sort of solution being offered here implicitly. And then second, like in the macro, we have this broad problem of political polarization, which has all of these complex systemic causes. And this is sort of like putting the moral responsibility for that issue onto individuals as I if know. polarization would go away if we yeah. all just pretended to like each other. Yeah. Right. In reality, what's happening is like as politics polarize around you, you are forced to make choices like this yeah. no yeah. matter what you do. Right. Right like as your median conservative gravitates towards being a QAnon guy, Mm. you know, even a moderate woman on a college campus is now forced to make a choice that she didn't previously have to make, right? Do I want to date a QAnon guy or not? Or
0: do I want to treat him as a fixer-upper, which always works? (laughs)
1: Ladies, you can fix him. That Mm -hmm. should have been the headline.
0: I I also think that Kind of on a logistical note, it's very funny to me that they bring up college campuses because, of course, college campuses are relatively like ideologically coherent. Like most people do mm-hmm. subscribe to like more left wing beliefs. But that's kind of the the breakdown of this entire article is that like we are sorting along ideological lines. But a lot of that is kind of geographical and institutional. Right. If you're a conservative and you live in a conservative state, you can date conservatives because they're all around you. And if you're a liberal and you live in a liberal city, you can date other liberals because that's who's around you. Yeah. It's like they're, they're linking this to this kind of this thing that, like, threatens marriage. Like, is this the end of marriage as we know it? And, like, as we discussed in our rules episode, people have been fretting about this since the literal 1700s. We're not going to stop, like, coupling up and, like, having babies anytime soon. Yeah. And... The fact that people have different ideological beliefs has nothing to do with falling marriage rates. Marriage rates are falling because people are waiting longer to get married, basically. Right. And like the divorce rates are also falling because like people might actually be in happier marriages than they used to be in previous generations. This is not the, the sort of underlying crisis. It's not... Really, a crisis. Right. They also, I don't know if you notice this, but they're they're talking about like the uh, the ideology gap and like uh, women are more likely to be liberal and men are more likely to be conservative. And they say mm-hmm. the ideology gap is particularly pronounced among Gen Z white people. And they talk about like white conservatives, whatever. But Gen Z is only fifty percent white, right? And so, <laughs> like, it's it's weird to sort of I I, I don't know how like uh, explicitly or like consciously they're doing this, but it's like. White people kind of, quote, unquote, resorting to, like, marrying minorities because they have the same <laughs> ideological beliefs as them is not bad.
1: There's also – there's just something fundamentally weird about this, like, broad implication that you don't have to vote for Republicans, of course, right? This is a democracy. But you should be willing to spend the rest of your life with one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a sacrifice that we all need to think hard yeah. about for yeah. some reason.
0: In the same paragraph that you sent me, they they also say – They're talking about these, like, ideological divides. And they say, unfortunately, Americans have not equipped themselves to discuss, debate, and reason across these divides. And, like, this is something that people just kind of say now. I don't actually think that there's any evidence that this is the case. A lot of people are fine with, like, their more conservative family members and even having, like, more conservative friends. I think most people are adults and, like, if anything, are, like – too reluctant to draw lines in the sand about this Uh also one of my favorite things because you know i I read these like reactionary centrist substacks like this whole kind of substack world i find darkly fascinating
1: what's your substack budget just for reading (laughs) substack psychos i do
0: not pay for any for the record i do not pay for any
1: i'm imagining you writing off like four hundred dollars a month (laughs) like Barry Weiss substack subscriptions. My
0: Jesse single budget every, every
1: <laughs> month <laughs> sending
0: it to the IRS. No, fuck no. But one thing that these people are obsessed with is how leftists will sometimes be like, it's not my job to educate you. Uh-huh. Right. So like sometimes you're kind of debating with somebody and you're like, what's your evidence for that claim? And they're like, it's not my job to educate you. But like they often use this as evidence for like nobody wants to debate anymore. But I think the, the key distinction is that people don't want to debate on social media with some fucking just-asking-questions asshole. Right. I, I think that it's totally legitimate to have, like, different standards- for behavior online and in person, like in person, I do actually have friends that are like relatively conservative and I'm perfectly happy to like walk people through data on like, Oh, actually like the trans rights stuff. Like it's not really the case that kids are getting surgeries without assessment. Like let's, let's talk about it. I'm actually totally happy to do that online. I'm not though online, the fucking slightest hint of transphobia. You are fucking blocked. Right. That's not like, Ooh, ideologically, like Mike can't handle debate or whatever. It's like, that's, that's not the experience that I want to have online.
1: Right. When you're talking politics on social media, you're sort of constantly debating. And so everyone yeah. hits their wall, right? And it's like, yeah, I don't want to fucking talk to this with yeah, some fuck off. with some person who's probably not acting in good faith yeah. and who it wouldn't matter if I changed their mind anyway, right? Dude,
0: I was that I I think I already told you this when we weren't recording, but I was in an Uber the other day talking about the weather, and then he's like, Oh, my my daughter like runs when it's sunny or something. He mentioned daughter or something, something. And I was like, Oh, how old's your daughter? He's like, "Oh, she's 35 now. Her mom's a narcissistic bitch." It's yeah. <laughs> like, uh, 0 to 60." <laughs> and then he's are like uh ranting about like queer people and stuff, and it was just like, "Okay, I guess we're just like doing this." <laughs> but I was nice.
1: Good for you not being immediately clocked as gay. I don't even know how that's <laughs> know. possible, but I
0: was so proud. That was all I could think. "Oh my god, do you think I'm straight?" Oh, <laughs> it's like flipping my hair around. I'm like the
1: straightest.
0: <sighs> but anyway, I I didn't like have a meltdown.
1: Right, right. Sorry, I'm dying at this guy. I'm dying at this guy who's like, see, see his little little twink Mike Mike Hobbs in his back seat, and it's like, I'm gonna first, I'm gonna tell this guy how about about how my ex is a bitch, and then I'm gonna rant about gays. <laughs>
0: Only a straight person would refer to a forty-one-year-old, five-foot-six man as a twink.
1: Very adorable of <laughs> you, Peter. Thank you. I thought that twink was entirely about being short and skinny.
0: Uh, speaking of which, this is my next. This is my next nominee, which I don't think. I don't think you would have clocked this. Okay. So this is we're reaching back through time. This is from June. There is a New York Times op-ed by a person named Richard Morgan, who I've never heard of before, and the op-ed is called "As a Gay Man." I'll never be normal. Mm-hmm. And th- th- there's been this kind of wave this year of basically straight media plucking gay men out of obscurity to be like, "Wow, gay rights has really gone too far." Right. The the entire piece is pushing back against like overrepresentation. So he actually like says this at one point. And he he starts out by saying, you know, there's all this discourse about how like the percentage of LGBT people is like growing. And it's now 7% of the population identifies as LGBT. And he's like, well, you know, it sounds like it's so big. Like it sounds like we're kind of everywhere. But actually, if you look into the numbers, more than half are bisexuals. And if you take the bisexuals out, It's only
1: 3%. I'm always controlling for bisexuals. Yeah, why would you remove
0: the bisexuals though? They're in the (laughs) fucking acronym. And like the danger that he's warning against, he has this absurd fucking thing about how like the ACLU has tweeted out like trans people belong everywhere, which is like a nice little phrase. And then he fact checks it. He's like, actually, trans people are only one percent of the population they'll never be everywhere i don't think that's
1: what they mean yeah
0: that's not what they mean when they say trans people belong everywhere they don't mean 100 percent of the population
1: Physi- uh, f- physically uh trans people could not be everywhere at once
0: <laughs> keep that voice peter that's good <laughs> save it
1: I, I can i can only do um like a super nerd from like the Simpsons, basically <laughs> or the brooklyn tough guy that's it
0: it's just like, shut the
1: fuck up. I love that he's not counting. You know how sometimes weirdly racist people will be like, did you know that Obama's actually half white? <sighs> you know? <laughs> These guys are half straight, keep in mind. Like that's that's how they view bisexuality as just being half straight. He says the
0: make-believe of overrepresentation is a kind of reverse closet, mm. where instead of pushing queer Americans to pretend to be heterosexual, we ask the broader culture to costume as more queer than it is.
1: I feel I I haven't talked about this on the podcast, but I feel like it's us straights in the <laughs> closet now. <laughs>
0: The whole piece. I was just like, just say you hate yourself. This is taking forever. It's
1: exhausting.
0: And like, this is the same year where we had David Sedaris being like, they want to call me queer and that's bad. I'm gay. And like, David, no one fucking cares what you call yourself. Right?
1: Just a fucking word. And you know,
0: fucking Andrew Sullivan has been banging this drum forever. He's like, he's like gatekeeping queerness. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, these aren't like real queers. But it's like, this is actually the future that liberals want. Right. I think it's fucking great that more people are identifying as bisexual and like exploring that. And like it's so demeaning to say that like that doesn't count. Right. When like a lot of people like I know people who are in sort of quote unquote heterosexual relationships, like opposite sex marriages, and they're monogamous. There's this weird move to be like, oh, well, they're not really bisexual.
1: Right. But why?
0: Why would you take that away from somebody? That's that's actually – fine for them to identify that way, even if for the rest of their lives, they're monogamous with an opposite sex partner. It doesn't mean they're not bisexual anymore.
1: I'm, I'm married to my wife, but it doesn't mean that I'm no longer in, like, quote unquote, interested in women. Like I'm not, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm still straight there. Just, just because I've committed to one person doesn't mean, doesn't exactly. like invalidate my sexuality in some way.
0: And like the reason this feels like dog whistle transphobia to me is because there's this panic about like, what if kids are identifying as trans? And then it turns out they're not trans. And like, that's not a bad hmm. outcome. That's actually fine. If more people are open to like maybe thinking they're bisexual and then they explore that and then a couple years later they're like, oh, it turns out I'm heterosexual. That's fine. That's like a future ally to me. Right. I think a world where people are able to explore their sexuality is better than one that we've had for most of human history where people just had to tamp this shit down and never really know that part of themselves. Like it's so weird to me to see actual gay people right. being like, oh, some of them aren't even bisexual. Who fucking cares, man?
1: The greatest argument for LGBT rights has always just been who gives a shit. Yeah. This is not your problem. Just move on. Go, like, have sex with straight presenting gay dudes or whatever you're doing. Yeah. You have know? a blast. Do the Andrew Sullivan where you try to try your best to present straight and then have an extremely dark online life. You know? <laughs>
0: By which you mean his writing career. There's nothing else that you would be referring to there. Uh, Okay, but then, Peter, the entire reason we're talking about this is so that we can read. This is not the worst take of the year, but this is the worst paragraph of the year. So I'm going to send this to you. Do it in a gay voice, Peter. Do it. No problem. Do it. (laughs) I know you have one in your back pocket.
1: I don't even know what you mean. (laughs) I still don't fit in. And not just in the straight world. I don't watch... (laughs) exhausting exhausting i don't watch rupaul's drag race i've never been to fire island (laughs) my skincare routine is soap Mm. i wear old navy and a raggedy bucket hat queer folks ask me if i'm a top a bottom or verse and i give the most unpopular answer why wouldn't i want to love my partner every way i can (laughs) so verse
0: yeah thank you (laughs) the whole internet (laughs) erupted when this fucking thing came out like Verse, that's verse.
1: <laughs> that's verse, buddy. I'm sorry, but this is so fucking stupid. First of all, use moisturizer. <laughs> every straight guy I know for the past decade has been rocking at the very least a basic moisturization routine
0: it is very funny to me when gay people like do this like straight fitting in shit and then straight people are like you're overdoing it you, know, you can wear skinny jeans man it's fine no
1: we're we're moisturizing every every straight guy has one bravo show we're well past this 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 is just like I'm cultureless and nobody likes me and I'm completely unwilling like as a matter of principle to engage in anything that I associate with modern gay culture. Yeah,
0: I hate myself so much. I've invented a bizarre fourth category that doesn't fall under top, bottom or verse. I'm, I'm tired of people asking me whether I'm like left or right handed but wouldn't I want to hold a tennis racket any way that I can?
1: He's right that that is the most unpopular answer because uh, it's the worst way to answer the question.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just
1: tedious. God. Imagine hating yourself so much that you wear bucket hats and I was just like (laughs) an adult gay man.
0: (laughs) I also, I I really do blame the straights for this Uh whole thing more than I blame like this individual person because like what he's expressing here is a very typical stage of coming out of the closet. I think that like for gay people, if you're growing up gay, there's certain kinds of representation that you see. And like when you go to gay nightclubs, you're seeing a certain kind of gay person. And like it can make you a little bit uncomfortable because you're like, I don't look like these people. I don't really feel like I fit in with these people. Mm -hmm. But there's this, this stage where you're like, I don't want to put a label on it. I'm not, I'm not like those other gays. Right. I'm into sports. Like I don't watch, I don't watch RuPaul's drag race. And honestly, like eventually you outgrow that. It's 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 like white people having a libertarian phase. Right. You 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 eventually realize that like no one cares. There's no pressure to watch RuPaul's drag race. I don't watch RuPaul's drag race. No one fucking cares. It's not that interesting. Right. What he thinks he's doing is challenging straight people's bigotry. Right. He's doing this like, look, not all of us yeah. are these like effeminate prancing queens, right? That's what he thinks he's doing. What he's actually doing is reinforcing their bigotry. He is giving them a license to when they see those prancing queens on the street or as a barista or whatever to go, hey, why can't you be like this other gay guy? Right. Why can't you be like this guy in the New York Times? He's not so effeminate. I can't even really tell that he's gay. He's like wearing fucking flannel or whatever the fuck he's bragging about in this stupid op-ed. Yeah. He is throwing other gay people under the bus in an effort to demonstrate his
1: proximity to straightness maybe i mean you probably have stronger opinions about this than me but there is in my view sort of like a like a young gay monoculture uh, to a degree and now that's not like unusual like there's a yeah. there's like a young straight guy monoculture too it's just that we don't like wrestle with it as part yeah. of our identity because Because we're all quite comfortable sliding in and out of it.
0: Oh, don't say sliding in and out after we just talked about top, bottom and verse, Peter. What's the problem?
1: What's what's the problem with loving whatever terminology?
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, I think, I mean, this is something that like, I don't think any straight person would ever describe what they're doing as like exploring my heterosexuality. Right, right. But that is something people do. Right. right? And you kind of figure out what kind of heterosexual you're going to be. And for gay people, this process is oftentimes delayed because you're in the fucking closet. Yeah. And then there's also this weird second coming out of the closet where you're like, I have to now be among gay people. And like, that can be really traumatic because we all see these fucking movies where it's like, oh, we're just all going to be at nightclubs all the time and having a great time. And
1: that's only like 20 percent of it. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) And people just beat you in the street if you're like, I don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Just (laughs) explosion of violence. Leave, leave
1: this brunch right now. Yeah. (laughs)
0: But that, that, that is a, a real, like, it's, it's something that oftentimes, like, the broader culture, because that culture is filtered through straight people, mm-hmm. culture doesn't prepare you for as a gay person. Right. And so we all figure out, like, what kind of gay person we're going to be. And that means, like, trying on different identities for a while. And for a lot of people, trying on this, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not like the other gays, it's, like, part of that identity formation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like this person is arguing against exactly the thing that could make him happier right a future where there you know 7% of the population identifies as lgbt and like ooh half of them are bisexual let's get that up let's get those numbers up right because a world where there's more queer people is also a world where there's more types of queerness and it's easier to explore the kind of queer person that you want to be right. right this was published the fucking month that we had like the target Pride display meltdown and the Bud Light meltdown. Right. And it's like straight editors are commissioning these fucking pieces and being like, well, isn't hasn't it all gone a little too far? Like kids are all identifying as bisexual now.
1: Let's get our worst dressed gay on the <laughs> yeah. case. This, let's get our our, our flakiest skinned <laughs> gay to write a column about this.
0: That was the most heterophobic thing you've said.
1: On the podcast, I'm proud of you.
0: You're a self-hating straight person.
1: When I'm watching um, Below Deck, I, uh, <laughs> I have to be looking at pictures of hot chicks on my phone to balance it out.
0: Okay, what is your next one, Peter?
1: My next nomination is not a single take as much as a series of takes by the same organization and or really the same person. Okay. And this is basically best summed up as the last month and a half of the ADL. Oh. <laughs> under the helm of Jonathan yeah. Greenblatt.